Man, we've been to church this morning. Yeah, you, yeah I, I'm all for like hooping and hollering in church. So, so aren't you glad you came to church this morning? That's right. That's right. And so uh, thankful for uh, Ryan today and, uh, and him leading us and, uh, man, just taking us straight to the throne of God Almighty. Tim is out, Tim Johnson. Uh, it is his and Mary Beth's 10th wedding anniversary, and so they're, they're celebrating that. But as they're celebrating their anniversary, they're also uh, celebrating his brother getting married this weekend as well. So, um, so that's where Tim is today. And I failed to mention this earlier, but if it is your first time and you're a guest, my name is Tim Dix. I am the, the minister to college and young adults and missions here at the church, and uh, it's my privilege uh, to be able to open the word with you this morning and expect it for what God has for us. I'm just thankful for Pastor uh, giving me the opportunity to, to share this morning. So if you have your scriptures, open with us to Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five. The book of Romans is probably the greatest treatise ever written. Uh, it, it's so rich and uh, with just with theology, and, and but ultimately the theology and, and the doctrine that is in there, what, what makes it such a special book and what makes it so rich and, 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 and beautiful is the message of the gospel that permeates throughout each and every verse that Paul is writing here to the church in Rome. And uh, Romans is a book of logic. And thus it makes it a book of therefores. And so we have the therefore of condemnation in Romans 3 and verse 20. We have the therefore of justification in Romans 5 and verse 1. We have the therefore of no condemnation in Romans 8 and verse 1. And then a therefore of dedication in Romans 12 and verse 1. And Paul, in presenting his case, he started in chapter 1 and moved on through. And he's proved that the whole world is guilty before God. Both Jew and Gentile alike are guilty before God and that nobody, no one, no man can be saved by their religious deeds such as keeping the law or, or any of their works. And he's explained that God's way of salvation has always been by grace and through faith. And, and he lays that out for us and he uses in chapter four Abraham as his illustration. And so if the reader of Romans were to stop at this point, then they would know that they needed to be saved and they would also know that they could be saved. But there's so much more that the sinner needs to know about what's a, kind of a big churchy word, if you will, called justification. And, and they would need to know more about justification by faith. Can they be sure that it will last? How is it possible for God to save a sinner through the death of Christ on the cross? And so Paul comes in in Romans 5, and he offers to us the explanation of the last two words in Romans chapter four, when it says in verse 25, he was delivered, meaning Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Our justification. And that's where we're gonna kind of rest here this morning and look at in the first 11 verses of Romans chapter five. But before we get into that, just kind of quickly, you know, what is justification? Like what's the definition of it? What does it mean? And justification is simply, it is the act of God where he declares the believing sinner righteous in Christ. Not on the basis of anything that they do, that you do, that I do, that we do, but on the basis of the finished work of Christ on the cross. So justification is an act, it's not a process. There are no degrees of justification. Each believer who has believed and confessed Jesus as Lord has the same right standing before God. And that right standing before God is something that God alone has done, nothing that we have done. No sinner can justify himself before God. 
And most important, here's just what justification doesn't mean. Justification doesn't mean that God makes us righteous, but instead that God declares us righteous. See, justification is a legal matter that, that we'll look at here this morning. God puts the righteousness of Christ on our record in the place of our own sinfulness. And nobody can change this record. So I'm here to tell you today, church, if you are here and you stand in Christ, justified by grace through faith, I just want you to know this today. What the enemy would love to speak into your soul and to speak into your heart is that, that you're still not good enough, that it didn't really work, that, 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 it's, it's, that, that it's been taken away from you. That is a lie straight from the enemy because what God has laid out to us is that justification, that Christ has taken our place, that Jesus has stood where we deserve to stand and he took on all the wrath and the punishment of our own sinfulness. And God then in turn puts the righteousness of Christ on our life and there's nobody that can change that record. Man, praise be to Jesus for that. And so as we look at this, now here's the thing this morning. Don't confuse justification and sanctification. Sanctification is the process where God makes the believer more and more like Christ. And sanctification may change from, from day to day. I mean, like if you woke up with me some mornings, and, and the way that I wake up in the morning, you'd be like, oh, there's no sanctification there with this guy this morning. Uh, or if you rode in a car with me um, in traffic in the morning, you would definitely know, like, sanctification is not happening in, in, in my car there. But, but see, justification, though, never changes. When the sinner trusts Christ, God declares him righteous, and that declaration will never be repealed. God looks on us and deals with us just as if we had never sinned. And so now we get to look at this because there's, there's massive ramifications for this and massive blessings for us in this process. And Romans 5, verses 1 through 11 lays it out. So let's look at verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So Paul has two purposes that he's seeking to accomplish in listing these blessings, as there's seven of them here for us. The first thing is he's just simply revealing and telling us how extraordinary it is for us to be in Christ. He's just saying, here is what it means to be a Christian. Like our justification this morning, as we look at this, it is not simply a guarantee of heaven, as thrilling as that might be, but it is also a source of blessing right here and right now that you and I enjoy in Christ. You know, it, it, it's kind of like this. Like, like, we all have dates that we remember. 
Um, some of you, maybe you don't remember them as, as well as you used to remember them, but, but you know, we have dates that we remember. You know, dates that I remember, September 16th, 2006. That, that was the day that I got married to Nan. Like, I remember that day. I remember everything about that day. I, like, we got married in southwest Georgia in a September afternoon outside. So if you're from South Georgia or if you've ever traveled through South Georgia, it's hot. It's like muggy hot and there's gnats. And so like we were saying our vows, like, like if you've never dealt with gnats before, like you have to like do this deal where like you, you stick your lip out and you blow, like to blow them out of your face, like just like that type deal. So we were like, say, like I do, I, you know, and like doing this deal. It's like, I remember everything about that. I remember the things we said to each other. I remember the people that were there. You know, I, 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 like that was a, a moment that is etched in my memory that, that I remember that it was significant. You know, June 28, 2011, like that's the day that Emma Grace was born. Like I remember that day. I remember every part about it. Like it was a little chaotic. It was a little, you know, overwhelming. I remember that they brought Emma Grace into our room and Nan wasn't there yet. And so I was left in the room with this newborn holding her in my arms thinking, what have I gotten myself into? And, and completely overwhelmed, but I was just like, where is her mother? Like, please, like, can, can, like this was a package deal here. And so like, I remember that. I remember August 23rd, 2013, when Jacob was born, um, this massive, massive baby boy. Like, I was like, where did that kid come from? And, and, and just like, I remember those things. And, and here's the thing, like I didn't on September 16th, the moment that I said I do tonight, I didn't then walk away from that and, and, and then just not take advantage and, and, and take in the blessing of being her husband and what that meant of being married. Like, I didn't shirk the responsibilities and the blessings of being my children's fathers. No, like, there were moments in time. There was a moment when I became a husband. There was a moment where I became a father to Emma Grace and a father to Jacob. But every day after that, I am still Nan's husband, and I'm still my kid's father. And I bask in that, and I enjoy that. And so, like, there's good times. There's bad times. There, there are times that are overwhelming, like when your kid graduates preschool, and, you know, and, and, and things like this that, that are a part of my life. But the thing is, is that I also remember the day that I professed Christ as Lord and Savior of my life in May of 1990. And here's the thing. That day means a lot, just as the other days do. But there are continuous days that move forward in this. Like, I was in Christ the moment that I gave my life over to him in 1990. But every day after that, I've also been a child of God and have grown in him. And there are things that we, take, that we need to take in from that in our justification. Because the truth is this this morning, is that we need to be gospel-infused in everything that we are and everything that we do. We, th that's how we need to be. We need to stop apologizing for and about the gospel, church. Like, and, and stop that. Because like, here's the truth. You and I, we don't move on from the gospel. It marks and defines our lives forever in Jesus Christ. And so this is where we're standing. And so Paul is just saying, hey, this is who you are. This is extraordinary. But then he comes on with a second purpose in this, just simply to assure those that are reading this that justification is a lasting thing. Like those that were Jewish would have read this and would have asked, can this, ex can this experience, can this spiritual experience really last if it doesn't require obedience to the law? Like people would have asked, what about trials and sufferings of life? They'd have asked, what about coming judgment? See, when God declared us righteous in Christ, he gave us seven spiritual blessings that assure us that it's lasting and that we cannot be lost. So let's just dive into this today. The first is peace with God. Peace with God. Look at verse one again. 
just simply says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the unsaved person is, is, is at enmity with God. Like, and, and the reason is because that person can't obey God's law or fulfill God's will. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 7, the sinful mind is hostile to God, that it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Condemnation is a harsh word. Condemnation means that God declares us as sinners, which is a declaration of war, an absolute declaration of war. But then justification comes in, and it means that God has declared us righteous, which is a declaration of peace made possible by Christ's death on the cross. Psalm 85.10 says that love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. So because the law brings wrath, as Paul says in Romans chapter 4, nobody that is condemned by the law can enjoy peace with God. But when you and I are justified by faith and declared righteous, then the law can't condemn us, and the law then can't declare war on us, and thus we have peace with God Almighty. How many of you are searching for peace here in this place? Like we live in a world that is longing and searching for some sort of peace. Here's the truth. Peace will only come through God Almighty. That's it. There is no other peace. Peace doesn't come from your bank account. Peace doesn't come from the house that you live in. Peace doesn't come from the vacations you go on. Peace comes from God and God alone through his son, Jesus Christ. That's how we have peace. Peace in the midst of the suffering. Peace in the midst of the storm. Peace in the midst of the questions. And Paul says there, do you want peace with God? It comes through your justification in Jesus Christ. We also have, secondly, access to God. Access to God. It says through whom, in verse 2, we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. That is a bold, confident proclamation. See, the Jew was kept from God's presence by the veil in the temple. And the Gentile during these days was kept out by a wall in the temple with a warning on it that any Gentiles that went beyond that would be killed. But with the death of Christ, the veil was torn down and the wall was broken down. And so there's a present reality in Jesus that now that that dividing wall has been broken down and we have access to God. Paul says in verse 14 of Ephesians 2, For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. In Christ, believing Jews and Gentiles have access to God. That is not future access to God. That is current, present access to God. And so if you're here today and you're like, I've got questions, God. I've got needs. I've got concerns. I say, come to the altar because God is listening to you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to commune with you and have union with you because in Jesus Christ, you and I have access to him. So you don't have to wonder, is God there? Yes, he is there, and you can go to him. All because of his son, Jesus Christ. Because of that access, we can draw on the inexhaustible riches of the grace of God. We stand in grace, church, not in the law. Justification, it has to do with our standing. Sanctification has to do with our state. The child of a king can enter into his father's presence, no matter how the child looks. And that word access there just simply means that entrance to the king occurs through the favor of another. We can enter into the king through the favor of Jesus Christ. Justification, access to God. The third thing is that there is glorious hope. Glorious hope. Peace with God takes care of the past. He's going to no longer hold our sins against us. Access to God takes care of the present, that we can come to him at any time 
at any moment for all time. Hope of the glory of God takes care of the future. That one day you and I will share in his glory. That when we were sinners, that there was nothing to boast about, as Romans 3 lays out for us, because we all fell short of the glory of God. But in Christ, we boast in his righteousness and we boast in his glory. And Paul's gonna amplify this later on in Romans 8. As you've read through Romans 8, verses 18 through 30, this really amplifies out even further the glorious hope that we have because of our justification in Christ. The fourth thing is there's Christian character. Christian character. Look at verses three through four. It says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. See, justification, church, it is no escape from the trials of life. It's not. Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Because in this world you will have trouble. He says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, for the believer in Christ, trials don't work against us, but they work for us. There's no amount of suffering, no amount of trials or tribulations that can separate us from the Lord. Paul asked in Romans 8:35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then just in a beautiful passage, runs all the way through and comes out and, and, and says, says, what can separate us? Church, what can separate us from the love of Christ? What can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, trials bring us closer to the Lord. They make us more like the Lord. Suffering builds Christian character within us. The sequence there is tribulation, patience, proven character, and hope. Our English word for tribulation comes from the Latin word tribulum. In Paul's day, a tribulum was a heavy piece of timber with spikes in it. It was used for threshing grain. And so they would take this tribulum and they would draw it over the grain. And as they did, it would separate the wheat from the chaff. And as we go through tribulations, as we depend on God's grace, these trials, they purify us. And it sustains us and it helps us to get rid of the chaff in our lives to make us more and more like Christ. This is a a result of the justification by faith. Number five is there's God's love within. God's love within. He says hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Proverbs 13, 12 says that hope deferred makes a heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So as we wait for this hope to be fulfilled, the love of God is poured out into our hearts. Like note here, how the first three of the fruit of the Spirit are experienced. There's love in verse five, joy in verse two, and peace in verse one. Before we're saved, God proved his love by sending Christ to die for us. And now that we're his children, Paul's just saying that surely he will love us more. There's this inner experience of this love through the Spirit that sustains us as we go through tribulations. 
faith, hope, and love all combined to give the believer patience in the trials of life. And patience makes it possible for the believer to grow in character and become a mature child of God. So it's God's love within us that moves us through the midst of the lives that we face, through the midst of the day-to-day, just kind of rigorous trials, tribulations, anything that would come our way. It's a lot like this. Um, I don't know if I've ever shared this before, but, but if I have, just pretend like I haven't. Um, so Nan and I, like I said, we've been married 12 years in September. Um, I first took Nan out on a date. Uh, we met at church. And so we met at church, and I said, oh, well, she's attractive. And so I asked her out. And so we went to saw a movie, went to eat dinner. Um, now, here's the thing about that first date. Nan came out of that first date and could not stand me at all, like not one bit. She thought I was arrogant, um, which I probably was, uh, and, and other things that she thought about me that she can tell you later. And so, um, so she did not go on a second date with me until about a year and a half later. No, and no lie. It's like, I mean, like, so, but in that year and a half, what took place was that we got to know each other and we, and, and we became friends and then that friendship grew to, to, to you know, kind of uh, more interest and then that grew to romance, that grew to love and then ultimately, like, I convinced her that she should marry me. And um, I didn't have to convince her. She, she was ready to say yes, I think. And so, um, and so now, so like there is a love that exists between us that is powerful, but, but here's the thing, as, as those of you that are married in here, you're not with your spouse every, all the time, every day, you know? Like that, that's just not a reality. Some of you travel for work, and so you have to be gone. Some of you, you know, like, like you work long hours, and, and so like you, you may come in late or something like that. And so, so, like, so that, that's our lives. Like, like I travel for camps or, or retreats or mission trips, stuff like that. And so one of the things, like I went to Haiti one time, and where we went in Haiti, there was no service or anything. But every day, Nan was like sending something, whether it be a voicemail, a text message, something like that. And, and, and then I had also in my, in my phone like pictures and stuff so that I could just remember and, and, and see that and kind of be spurred on knowing that oh, my wife is waiting on me. There's a love that exists there. And so it just kind of keeps you going, you know. And then now I have pictures of my kids and stuff. And it's just this thing. And, and those of you that, that are married and you have a family, you understand that. It's like, oh, yeah, no, that, that's a, that kind of keeps me going sometimes. Well, here's the thing. As, as much as I love my wife, my wife is not my savior. Christ is my savior. And, and every day, see, this is the beauty of this. I may be separated from my wife on a trip or because, I, because I'm here at work. I'm never separated from Jesus. And his love has been poured within each of our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so his presence is with us so that in the midst of every single moment of your day, you take a step Christ is going with you. You deal with a situation. Christ is in the middle of that situation with you. Circumstances come your way that are are troublesome. Christ is in the midst of that, walking with that through you because God's love is within you in Jesus Christ. What a powerful, hopeful reality for us in Christ. Number six, there's salvation from future wrath. One of the blessings of our justification is salvation 
from future wrath. Verses nine through 10 says, since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Like so, so Paul is saying here and arguing really from lesser to greater in this moment. If God saved us when we were enemies, surely he'll keep on saving us now that we are his children. Paul's saying there is wrath to come, but no true believer will experience it. He writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 8 through 10, he says, but since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Paul's arguing here that if Christ's death accomplished so much for us, how much more will he do for us in his life as he intercedes for us in heaven? Saved by his life there is referring back to Romans 4.25 where he says he's ra- that we're raised to life for our justification. Because Jesus lives, we are eternally saved. It's like this. You know, if, if those of you who have written a will here in the room, like you've got a last will and testament that, that's in place. Well, that will has no effect until you die. Nobody can take part of any inheritance that you are passing on to somebody else until you die. And, and so then an executor will come in at that moment and then begins to take over and sees to it that the will is obeyed and the inheritance is distributed. But what happens if the executor of that will is, is a bad person, is a deceitful lawyer, and, and, and wants to kind of get the inheritance for themselves? So he may figure out ways to circumvent the law, to try to steal what rightfully belongs to somebody else. Well, for us in the room that have believed and confessed Jesus as Lord, Christ wrote us into his will, and he wrote us into his will with his own blood. And so he died so that the will would be enforced. But he also rose from the dead. And in his resurrection and in his return to heaven, he then is the one who is enforcing the will that he enacted upon his death. There is nobody that is enforcing the will and distributing the inheritance that we receive in Jesus Christ other than Christ himself. Because he died to enforce the will, but he rose again so that he would be the one to distribute the blessing and the power and the grace because we are saved by the life of Jesus Christ. Saved by his life. Which then brings us into this final blessing here in verse 11, which just is that we have, because of Christ, and through that justification, we have reconciliation with God. Look at verse 11 again. It says, not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Some translations use the word atonement there, which just simply means reconciliation brought back into fellowship with God. The term's also mentioned in verse 10. But Paul said in Romans 1, in verses 18 through 32, he just kind of lays out there, he says that men declared war on God. And, and, and because of the war that they declared on God, deserved to be condemned eternally. But God, on the other hand, did not declare war on man. Instead, he chose to send his son Jesus to be the ultimate peacemaker so that men could be reconciled back to God again. He writes in Ephesians 2, verse 13, Paul does, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood 
of Jesus Christ. So we have peace with God. We have access to God. We have a glorious hope, Christian character. We have God's love within, salvation from future wrath, and reconciliation with God. I look over all seven of these blessings, and it gives us confidence and assurance of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Because I get it, I think there are people in the room today that are wrestling with assurance, that you're wrestling with the confidence of your salvation in Jesus Christ. But what Paul is saying here is that everything we need to be all that God wants us to be, that we have right now in Jesus Christ, it's totally apart from the law, and it is purely by grace that we have a salvation that takes care of the past and the present and the future. Christ died for us, Christ lives for us, and Christ is coming for us. This is the Savior that we have, church. I, that, that is what I say as they sang in a song, hallelujah to that. Praise God for that, because this is the reality in which we stand in Christ Jesus. So, so just kind of like, as I wrap this up, to illustrate this, because I think there, there are people in the room that are wrestling with assurance, but then I think there are people in the room here today that are just searching. That you, you've come in this morning, you maybe came with friends, maybe it's your first time ever in a setting like this, and you're searching, you're seeking, you're questioning. So, so I, I have a confession. I am a huge baseball fan. I love the sport of baseball. Any baseball fans in the room tonight? Okay, this morning. So... So I, I love it. I could sit, like I'm not one of these people that has a problem if a baseball game goes four or five hours, I'll, I'll watch it. Um, and, and, and so I, I love everything about it. I just love the atmosphere. Um, I love being at a game. Uh, I love going to a game and getting a hot dog and just sitting down and, and enjoying it. So, so I have a baseball here, just pulled this from, from my house. Anybody know how much a baseball is worth? So you can say it out loud. We're, we're, we're all friends here. $12. How much? Somebody say $2.99. It's $2.99. $2.99. So if, so if you've got to buy a baseball later, your sporting goods store, $2.99 for a baseball. So now, since I've told you that I'm a baseball fan, I have another confession to make, but you have to make a promise that you will not stop listening to me when I make this confession. Is that a promise good? Okay. So beyond being a baseball fan, I am uh, a huge, huge New York Yankee fan. And so, God bless the people in the house that clapped. The 915 service, they weren't clapping. So, so 1050. So in my, in my love of Yankees baseball, since I was a kid, one of the things that, that, that I've done, and you come to our house and so I have, I have a collection of memorabilia. Um, I enjoy collecting it. I enjoy, um, you know, getting it, receiving it. You know, if I find something, I'll try to, try to get it. I've got uh, an autographed Derek Jeter picture, um, an autographed Mariano Rivera picture, something from Joe Torre, uh, a baseball that was signed by him. Um, the first gift that Nan ever gave me, um, guys that just, if your future wife ever does this, when you know they're a keeper, the first gift that Nan ever gave me was a trip to Yankee Spring Training. And, um, and on that trip, uh, I met Reggie Jackson and got Reggie Jackson to sign. Some of you are like, I don't even know who these people are, Tim. It's okay. We're going to come back around to Jesus. So, um, yeah. so, <laughs> so um, but my, my prized possession 
that I've had since I was in college is, is this baseball signed by Mickey Mantle? And so, man, all right, we know who he is. So, so I'm going to put this here so the guys on the camera, if they, can, if they want to get a, a better shot of it. So, so here's the thing. How much is that baseball worth? $10,000. If, it, if it's worth $10,000, I'm going to need some people up here afterwards uh, to just kind of. Now, let me, let me just be real here. Now, now I love this baseball. I probably shouldn't say love this. I, I, I value this baseball. It's important. Um, you know, it's got a place in our house along with, with our other memorabilia. But, but let me just be real here. This baseball is worth $2.99. You want to know why? Because it's just a baseball with ink on it. That's all it is. However, it is valued, according to Steiner Sports, at $1,500. But why is it valued at $1,500? It's valued at $1,500 because there's somebody willing to pay that for this baseball. That's, that's the only reason why. Well, here's the deal. Our worth is that we were created by God. You, I, everybody on the planet that has breath in their lungs as a human being, we were created by God, the creator of the universe, almighty God. So there's worth there. But then it comes around to value. And, and, and so here's the thing this morning. Some of you, you've gotten to that place where you've seen your need for the grace of God through Jesus. And you believed and you confessed Christ as Lord of your life and surrendered all that you are over to him. And you've been justified by faith. And so your value, what you have written over your life, is the name of Jesus. So like this baseball has value because somebody's willing to pay that amount for it because it has Mickey Mantle's name over it. In Christ, you have the name of Jesus over your life. And he gave up his life for you. That is the value in which you have and the blessings in which you get to take on in his name because you are no longer just created by God. But because of Jesus and his name written across your life, you are now a child of God. And value is priceless. So, I think there's two people in the room. I think there are those that have believed and confessed, but the enemy has shaken you so bad and you found yourself in this place of questioning and doubt and lack of assurance I think what God's just wanting to do is to speak over your life. I'm with you, and I'm for you, and nothing can separate us in Christ. But then I think there are others in the room. I just want to say this, that no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, or how far it is that you've fallen, how much you've disappointed yourself or other people, 
that God's grace is more than enough for you right here and right now. It's more than enough for you right here and right now to meet you right where you are and to completely overwhelm your debt, to cancel all the shame, to cancel all the guilt of whatever sin has done to you and whatever you've done through sin to others. It can be completely canceled out. That debt can be erased right here in this place right now. If your eyes were to be open and you would see it for what it is really is and you could walk out of here in the name of Jesus, you could walk out of here free from condemnation, you could walk out of here free from guilt, you could walk out of here free from shame and you could be completely restored in the name of Jesus Christ and invited into the kingdom of God, no longer cast out, no longer far away, but drawn near a child of God in the name of Jesus. That's what's readily available for you here in this place today. Not because of anything I say or any song that's played or anybody that sits in this room, but because Jesus is here and he is calling you to him right now here in this moment. So will you answer that call? Because he can and he will mark and define your life today. You could walk out of here priceless with the name of Jesus written over your life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, If that's you this morning and you just wanna respond to the grace of God and the message of the gospel and say, Tim, I need Jesus, then you can just pray this prayer. Jesus, I need you. I don't have peace, I need peace. I don't have access. I need access to God through you. I don't have hope, and I need hope. I don't have your love within, and I need your love. I need salvation in the name of Jesus. And I need reconciliation with you. Would you come and heal me, Jesus? Would you set me free, Jesus? Would you save my soul? Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.